Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone phone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Krista, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program. And today's program is a partnership program with the Leukemia Research Foundation and Cancer Care, and we are delighted to be partnering with them on today's program, and you'll be hearing more about Leukemia Research Foundation as the program um, proceeds. Today's program um, has been made possible um, in part, was funded in part, by Jazz Pharmaceuticals, Inc., and we want to thank them for their support of today's program. Before we move on with the program and introduce the speakers, and I'd like to just identify, we have over 160 participants on the call today. We come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have a number of international participants from Algeria, Argentina, Bahrain, Canada, Germany, Ghana, India, Spain, and the United Kingdom. So it's a global call as well. And we are delighted to have all of you with us and that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. And now it is my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Gabrielle Robbins. And Dr. Robbins is a pediatric hematologist, oncologist, medical director, Stephen D. Hassenfeld Children's Center for Cancer and Blood Disorders, Hassenfeld Children's Hospital, NYU Langone, Clinical Assistant Professor, Department of Pediatrics, NYU Grossman School of Medicine. And Dr. Robbins will be addressing an overview of acute lymphocytic leukemia in children, current standard of care, chemotherapy, and new treatment approaches, treatment for recurrence, for recurrence in ALL in children, targeted treatment and stem cell transplantation, the role of clinical trials in childhood ALL, key questions to ask the doctor and healthcare team in making treatment decisions, including preventing and managing uh, treatment side effects, discomfort and pain, and late and long-term effects of ALL um, treatment in children. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Robbins. Well, thank you, Carolyn, and um, thanks to the Leukemia Research Foundation and your team at Cancer Care for hosting this workshop today. Um, I'm really glad to be able to speak to everyone today, as Carolyn said, about current therapies in pediatric acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or pediatric ALL, and to discuss new and emerging treatments for this disease. So, Pediatric ALL is a cancer of blood cells that affects children of all ages. And typically there are about 3,000 cases of pediatric ALL each year in North America. Most commonly during young childhood, but 
ALL can really develop in a person of any age, including infants, adolescents, young adults, and actually older adults certainly get leukemia too. Um, but we'll only be talking about pediatric leukemia today, of course, which really should be thought of as a distinct disease from the leukemia that older adults get. Now, while the number of pediatric patients who develop ALL pale in comparison to the number of adult cancer patients, thankfully, um, that's still, of course, far too many people who are afflicted with this cancer. And so doctors and researchers have been working for many decades to learn how to treat this important disease, and with a lot of success, thankfully. Um, now, there are two main categories of pediatric ALL, depending on the type of blood cell from which it is derived, B cell or T cell ALL. And most of what I'll discuss today applies to both types. So let me share with you a little bit about the treatment that we use now and how that treatment was developed. So the backbone of therapy today for pediatric ALL is chemotherapy. Conventional chemotherapy medicines are a variety of medicines that work by interfering with a cancer cell's ability to replicate and multiply. And it does this by injuring a cancer cell's DNA and the proteins involved in cell division. And because cancer at its root is a problem caused by unhealthy cells replicating and multiplying and spreading, chemotherapy medicines are really effective at destroying cancer cells. Um, now, many of the conventional chemotherapy medications that we use today for pediatric ALL, they have names like fincristin, methotrexate, cytarabine, and there are many others. These are actually really old medications that were discovered back in many cases in the 1960s and 1970s when the first chemotherapy agents were first being discovered. But even though many of the current medicines we use today are old medicines, that doesn't mean we haven't made any progress in therapy using these medications since those days. In fact, on the contrary, doctors and researchers have made extraordinary progress, um, really, by optimizing how we use these medications. And over the past many decades, doctors have studied how to give these medications in combination with one another to optimize how they work together. And they've learned the best dosing schedules, and we've learned how to maximize how much medication we are able to safely give, um, and we've improved our supportive care. So that today, when a child is newly diagnosed with ALL, there are very well-established schedules and regimens of chemotherapy that we know work very well. Now, I want to mention a few key concepts for how we deliver chemotherapy for newly diagnosed ALL that are unique for leukemia compared to many other types of cancers. First, um, in pediatric ALL, chemotherapy starts with perhaps six to eight intense months using strong doses of the chemotherapy. And the chemotherapy is given in cycles that are usually about a month long. Now, in most other cancers, after this intensive stretch of chemotherapy, the medicine would be done, and hopefully the cancer has gone away. However, in pediatric leukemia, 
we continued to give low-level chemotherapy for about two years or so after that, and we call this maintenance chemotherapy. And we've learned that giving this low-level chemotherapy helps keep the cancer from coming back. It's kind of like, I think of it like wearing a retainer after someone gets their braces off. Thankfully, during this low-level maintenance chemotherapy, kids can usually go back to school and do most of the things that they normally do, so that even though it lasts a long time, their lives hopefully look much more like their normal day-to-day lives before they had cancer. The second concept I want to mention is that in addition to the chemotherapy that we give by mouth, and in addition to the chemotherapy that we give through the bloodstream through a line, we also have to give chemotherapy to a special space. And that's the space that surrounds the brain and spinal cord. When doctors learned to give chemotherapy into this special space, we learned that this dramatically improved our success in treating leukemia by preventing the leukemia from invading that space around the brain and spine. So chemotherapy today for ALL involves many spinal taps over the course of therapy. So by learning how to best use conventional chemotherapy, doctors have made a lot of progress in our ability to successfully treat leukemia in children. But we also know very well that there's a lot of progress that still needs to be made for two important reasons. First, because there are still some cases where these conventional chemotherapy medications are not enough to get rid of the leukemia. There are still some cases where the leukemia will come back despite these medications, and I'll talk about those cases in a few minutes. And second, we know that these medications cause important side effects, and so we're still trying to find therapies that will maintain our success treating leukemia while also avoiding the side effects that these medications can cause. So let me talk for just a few minutes about some of the important side effects that these chemotherapy medications can cause and some of the supportive care that we provide to be able to give chemotherapy as safely and as comfortably as possible. First and foremost, we know that chemotherapy can weaken a child's immune system and put that child at risk for infections that can sometimes become serious. Thankfully, we've learned how to prevent infections in many cases using preventative antibiotics and other medications that we give throughout therapy. We've also learned how to treat infections aggressively if infection does occur. And it's absolutely no coincidence that as we've become better at treating infection, our ability to successfully use chemotherapy to treat and cure leukemia has also increased. Those two things really go hand in hand. In addition to infections, um, we know that chemotherapy can cause many other side effects like nausea and vomiting, changes in appetite, fatigue, anemia, temporary hair loss, temporary organ injury, and many other side effects. There's a long list. Thankfully, though, we have many medical and non-medical approaches to minimizing or reducing these side effects. But just to say that receiving chemotherapy involves a lot of supportive care, too. Sometimes supportive care means medicine. Sometimes it means blood transfusions. Sometimes it means physical therapy. Sometimes it means psychosocial therapy. Treating leukemia is not just about chemotherapy. It really requires a holistic approach to take care 
of your whole child, their body and their mind and their spirit. And that takes a lot of people, not just one doctor or even a team of doctors, but a whole team of care providers. I also want to say that some side effects of chemotherapy can be long-lasting or show up after chemotherapy is finished. For example, children who receive chemotherapy for ALL are at risk for developing heart disease as young adults. And while the risk isn't so high, it's higher than in the general population of young adults, and that's earlier than most people might otherwise have heart disease. So children who are treated with chemotherapy for leukemia also will continue to see doctors for follow-up exams after their therapy is over to monitor their heart health, to monitor their bone health, and to ensure that they continue to grow up in a healthy way. And thankfully, most do. Let me turn to what therapies we use when conventional chemotherapy isn't working well enough. Now, most of the time, chemotherapy alone is enough to destroy and permanently eliminate a child's leukemia, and these children are cured. But in certain cases, chemotherapy alone does not work well enough. Sometimes this means that the leukemia never went away in the first place, and sometimes this means that the leukemia went away but then came back in the middle of therapy or after therapy ended. When chemotherapy alone isn't sufficient, there are three other types of chemotherapy, excuse me, three other types of therapy that we use to help eradicate the resistant leukemia. And I'm going to spend the remainder of my time talking about these approaches, some of which are quite new and all of which hold promise. The first therapy I want to mention is bone marrow transplant. Most children who have leukemia that has returned despite chemotherapy have traditionally needed a bone marrow transplant to achieve cure. In, now, in a bone marrow transplant, we try to eliminate a patient's whole blood system, which is the source of the leukemia cells, and replace it with a donor's healthy blood system. To do this, first doc doctors need to give either chemotherapy or radiation in doses that are high enough not only to eliminate leukemia cells, but also destroy healthy blood stem cells too. And then we infuse our patient with a donor's healthy blood stem cells. This donor can be a family member or sometimes it can be a complete stranger. But to achieve a successful transplant, the donor cells are supposed to closely match or resemble the patient's own cells. And if they don't match closely, it's possible that the patient's body might reject the new cells or the new cells could cause injury to the patient. For many years, actually, the ability to perform a successful transplant was really limited by the ability to find a donor that matched closely enough. But thankfully, in the past 10 or 15 years, there have been a lot of new advances in the field of transplant medicine so that transplant doctors often now can successfully use donor cells that only partly match the patient. And this will still often be successful and work well. And so we're hopeful that transplants, which are already successful in many patients, will become even more successful. Um, I'm not really going to go into more details because the medicine of transplants could be a whole other talk unto itself, but um, I would like to talk about two other very promising types of therapy. 
The other two therapies that we have started to use when conventional chemotherapy isn't enough are two therapies that are quite new, or relatively new, and have only started to be used in children for maybe the past 10 or perhaps 15 years. And these two new therapy categories are targeted therapy and immunotherapy. Targeted therapy medications are medications that have been engineered like in a lab, to target something unique about leukemia cells. It turns out that leukemia cells have certain features and markers that they express that are not expressed on most other cells in the body. And scientists have developed medications that will only attach to cells that have these unique markers. I'll give you two examples of these medications that are currently being used, although there are certainly more than two. One medication that is currently being used is called blinatumumab, or Blina, or Blina for short. And another medication that's currently being used is called inotuzumab, or Ino for short. These medications, for the most part, can ignore the healthy cells in the body and, for the most part, attach only to leukemia cells that express their targets, kind of like a key that only fits in a certain lock. That's in contrast to the conventional chemotherapy that we were just talking about. If we gave really high doses of conventional chemotherapy medications, more and more they would start to really injure healthy cells too, so it limits our maximum dose. But these targeted therapies like Blina and Ino, they really are good at zooming in on the leukemia cells and destroying them effectively. And when these medic medicines were studied in adults and children with recurrent BALL, it turns out that these medications were really good at eliminating the leukemia cells, even the resistant leukemia cells, at least temporarily. So now, for certain subsets of children with recurrent BALL that express some of these targeted markers, we give these novel medications as part of therapy to help reduce their disease burden so that they can then go to stem cell transplant if needed. There are other examples of targeted therapies that I won't describe now, but just to say that there are a growing number of new drugs that can target certain molecular features that may be expressed in certain subsets of children with ALL. These medicines, like Blena and inotuzumab, have actually shown so much promise helping eliminate leukemia cells in children with recurrent disease that doctors and researchers are really now asking the question, should we start using these medications for patients with newly diagnosed disease? So there are major new clinical trials currently ongoing comparing children who receive conventional chemotherapy alone with children who receive conventional chemotherapy combined with targeted therapy. And we're hopeful that the studies will show that these new targeted therapies will continue to improve our success. And ultimately, we may even be able to use more targeted therapies and eventually reduce the amount of conventional chemotherapy that we need to use, thereby reducing all of the side effects that come with conventional chemotherapy. The final therapy that I'd like to mention is also quite new, and it's a type of therapy that harnesses someone's own immune system to fight the leukemia in their body. And this therapy is called CAR T-cell therapy. In this type of therapy, some of a child's healthy immune system cells, T-cells, which are part of his or her immune system, are removed from their body through a line. 
Those cells are brought to a lab where the cells are re-engineered so that they're trained to attack specific features of leukemia cells. Then these re-engineered T cells are infused back into a patient where they now can attack the body's leukemia cells using their own immune system cells that have been re-engineered to recognize the leukemia. To me, that almost sounds like science fiction, but it's a real therapy that has actually shown to be quite effective in many cases where other types of therapy have not worked. Again, that's, this is a new approach that gives us a, just one more tool when a child has disease that's not responding to other therapies well enough. So I think I'll end there um, because I don't want to ramble on for too long. Um, but just to summarize what I've mentioned, first, conventional chemotherapy is the backbone of successful therapy for treating childhood acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Second, that therapy has many side effects that we work very hard to reduce. And third, if childhood ALL isn't eradicated with chemotherapy, we use approaches that include stem cell transplant, new targeted therapies, and new therapies that harness the power of the immune system to eradicate leukemia. I'll end there. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Robbins. That was really outstanding. Just a stellar presentation. And also, you really set the stage for today's program. Um, giving all the participants today listening um, really state-of-the-art information about um, the, the newest treatments for um, AL and children. So thank you so much um, for your presentation. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Anna Muriel, and Dr. Muriel is Chief Division of Pediatric Psychosocial Oncology Institute Physician, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, Associate Professor of Psychiatry, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Muriel will be addressing the school social and emotional um, issues during and after AL treatment, and guidelines for telehealth telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, and discussion of open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Muriel. Thank you so much, um, and thank you uh, for having me. It's really great that we can address the social and emotional issues along with the medical issues, because as we know, it is so important to address those issues as we're trying to get a young person through leukemia treatment. So when you think about the social and emotional concerns, they're really going to be dependent on your child's age, stage of development, and their pre-existing personality. And that is going to determine how we approach um, caring for a child during their treatment. So we know that there's always going to be an initial adjustment for the whole family, for the child and the parents or the caregivers who are accompanying them to the hospital, that initial adjustment to the hospital environment, understanding what the medical procedures are, helping the children cope with complex, sometimes painful procedures, and also all the new people that your child and your family will be meeting. And we know that children will enter these systems with their own pre-existing personalities and temperaments, and that's very important to consider along the way. Um, and that some children also come with pre-existing histories of anxiety or ADHD or um, neurodevelopmental differences. So your team will want to be knowing about those things and helping your child um, adjust in the context of those pre-existing issues. The age of the child will really um, impact how children uh, 
get through this treatment. We know that younger children in particular are going to be reassured by familiar caregivers. Just we now know that young children need to have familiar caregivers in the hospital, in clinic with them, and um, that they can use uh, those adults for comfort. Um, so the adult comfort and understanding of the experience is so important, and that adult's ability to remain calm and reassuring for the child will be important. The other thing that's really helpful for children is a sense of predictability and routine. And as you and your family get used to the routines of what's involved in the child's treatment, as um, Dr. Robbins mentioned, all the different medications, the chemotherapies, the procedures, you and your child can get used to what will be happening each time they come to clinic, what it means to get their port accessed, what it means to have anesthesia for um, uh, the, uh, um, the procedures that they need to have. And so those children, young children will need to know what to expect. Older children also benefit from knowing what to expect and may be able to talk about it more. So they may be talking more about their adjustment and what's hard for them. We know that for older children, the losses of their usual activities, being able to go to school um, at the beginning of treatment, especially um, spending time with their peers, all that are big losses for children, and they're just sort of um, taken out of their usual environment and um, thrust into unusual circumstances in the medical environment. And older children also may ask about the what ifs, like what, what, what what if this medicine doesn't work? What if I have to do this? Will that hurt? They may have many more questions, and we want to answer these children's questions as honestly as possible, giving them the language that's developmentally appropriate, but being honest with them about what's happening and what's coming so that they learn to trust the environment. We also know that as the children get older, they're also going to have a balance of the need for their parent support and their need for their parents' care, or their caregivers you know, providing everyday care for them, but also as they get older, some more independence. What can they learn about their treatment, their medication, how to deal with the procedures? How do they ask their medical team questions that they have on their own mind? Um, we also know that when it comes to procedures in particular, preparation in advance is helpful. Hopefully, um, most of our uh, Childhood cancer centers have child life specialists and social workers who can help children adjust to these procedures, prepare, understand what's going to happen, and then for children to be able to have control and choices over how things happen, the order in which things happen. They may not have a choice about getting vital signs every time they come to the clinic, but they may be able to have a choice about whether they have their blood pressure done first and then their temperature or their height or vice versa. So that any place we can give children small choices will help them feel more in control and have a sense of being able to um, manage the challenges of treatment. Our nursing colleagues are usually very good at helping children appreciate these issues. There are also some emotional um, side effects to treatment that um, are consistent for all children receiving leukemia treatment. So most children will have significant hair loss that's temporary, but that can be um, a real change for them and be scary and uncomfortable. And most children adapt to this relatively well and figure out how to either get comfortable with their bald head for the time that they're on the chemotherapy that causes hair loss, or decide they want to wear hats or caps or occasionally wigs um, for, uh, to make them feel more comfortable out in the world. The other very specific um, side effect 
that is um, related to leukemia treatment, one of the treatments um, that is involved in almost all leukemia treatment um, is steroids. Um, and steroids have particular emotional side effects that can be troubling for young people and for their families. And they can include things like um, increased appetite, insomnia, moodiness, irritability, lethargy, and then at the end of their steroid phase, um, some withdrawal pain. And children have varying levels of these side effects, but it's helpful to be prepared for these side effects and to think about how to adapt the child's environment to allow them to be as comfortable as possible during that time that they're on steroids in terms of what are the expectations for their environment, for their usual routine, where do they get a little bit of grace, a little bit of a pass around some of the things they're usually expected to do because they're dealing with some of the steroid side effects. And when are the times when they may need more intervention? And you may need to talk to your team more about things to help you and your child adjust to the steroid side effects, which are temporary and occur only when they're taking the steroids. For most young people, um, school is a big part of their lives, and the initial parts of um, cancer treatment really um, impact them. And so needing to adjust to how the school will um, be able to be uh, followed up on, whether it's with tutoring in the school or communicating with the school or thinking about um, return to school eventually, especially in maintenance treatment, with 504 accommodations um, that should be available in your state and with the guidance of the people in your clinic. And then thinking about how do you communicate with the school and with the peers about what is happening for the child. The thinking about the late and long-term effects of ALL, there is the transition off treatment, which often brings mixed emotions in parents and children. Sometimes children just want to be done with it. Parents may have some lingering concerns about the possibility of the leukemia coming back or um, how to handle things going forward when they've been so carefully monitored by the oncology team. So you'll have medical follow-up. And then you also want to pay attention to any possibility of late neurocognitive effects. And sometimes children do have changes in their learning style, their attention, their um, ability to, to multitask. And so you want to think with your medical team and your school system about the need for neuropsychological testing and special education planning. And then now that we're in the time of uh, telehealth appointments, you want to think about how you prepare for those telehealth appointments when you're not going into clinic directly, understanding the requirements for technology and how to access the link, ensuring a quiet private space, understanding from the medical team whether or not your child is expected to attend the telehealth appointment or if it's just a parent appointment, and preparing a written list of questions. The other thing about documentation is to think about um, how many uh, facilities now have patient portals where patients and caregivers can access the notes, the visit summaries, as well as lab and scan results directly on their own um, devices. And it's important to be mindful that those results may be posted to the portal before the oncology team has had a chance to review them. And so you may be seeing results that are just posted at a time when you may not have access to your medical team to ask them questions about the results. So you want to be thoughtful about managing your own emotional needs around getting those test results and when you might see them, and perhaps waiting until you get a call from your team to understand them in context. Because you want to make sure that you bring your questions directly to the team and understand how the results are relevant for your child's unique situation, rather than doing your own research and, under, and seeing things on the web that may or may not be relevant to your child's actual situation. So in general, you want to think about how you know your child best, 
you know their pre-existing temperament, your, their pre-existing personality, and how best they might cope with their treatment. And you want to partner with your oncology team and the psychosocial team to help your child cope best with their treatment. I'm going to stop there, and um, we'll turn to the next phase of the call. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Muriel. That was really outstanding and really highlighting a lot of the uh, social, emotional, and school issues that children confront um, undergoing uh, treatment for um, ALL. So very helpful, and I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, so, so thank you so much. Thank you. And our next um, speaker is um, Mr. Kevin Redelick, and um, uh, he is the executive director of um, the Leukemia Research Foundation. And he'll be discussing Leukemia Research Foundation's free programs and services and provide you with their phone numbers, uh, websites, and other information. And we'll also, um, you'll be getting a survey monkey after today's program in a couple of days. And, um, and in that survey monkey, any information we gave out, um, we will also provide in written form on that. Uh, uh, it's also an evaluation of the program, but we also give you all the, any, any kind of links that we might have given you during the program. So it's my great pleasure now to introduce um, Mr. Radelick. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. It's an honor for the Leukemia Research Foundation to participate in today's workshop, uh, particularly as, alongside Dr. Muriel and Dr. Robbins. Thank you very much for your presentations. Um, we're honored to support today and participate not only in this, but in other cancer care workshops throughout the year. So it's a great partnership that we enjoy. Um, the Leukemia Research Foundation has been in existence since 1946. And as our middle name suggests, our main area that we concentrate on is research. And we have funded over 600 projects around the world um, trying to find better treatments and causes and cures for leukemia. But our leadership, our board of directors, is made up of people who have walked in the same shoes as the participants on this call. They've been touched directly by leukemia, either by losing a loved one, a child, a sibling, um, a parent, whatever it might be, and they want to do what they can do so that others don't have to experience what they themselves have endured. So while research is important to us, just as important, if not more so, is our patient and family support programs. And I encourage those on the call today to visit our website, which is leukemiarf.org. That's leukemiarf, as in researchfoundation.org. And when you go to our homepage, you'll see that we have a drop-down that is patient and family support. And if you click on that, there are several uh, different links where you can find all kinds of information. One is information and resources, for example, which gives all kinds of information for newly diagnosed uh, patients and families. Uh, there's another one for treatment that you might be able to explore. There is a drop-down for childhood leukemia, ALL, which, of course, is the focus of today's call, and then there's other helpful resources as well. That's on the Info and Resources drop-down. Another drop-down within our patient and family support services is our educational programs. There you'll be able to find webinar recordings from past educational programs that we've done on all types of leukemia, including ALL, uh, different treatments, nutrition, and even more information that we have through our educational programs. 
the educational programs that we do are um, take place pretty much on a quarterly basis throughout the year. We've done some this year, which were a basic Q&A session with doctors. We've done one on clinical trials. We're planning on doing one on how to manage finances um, when you're diagnosed and going through treatment. And then we have another one on new and emerging treatments, which will be focused on those uh, information that came out of the uh, recent ASH conference, the American Society of Hematology, which took place in San Diego in December. So, and then the the last drop down is our support services, um, all kinds of information there, peer support and the like. So, again, I encourage everybody to visit our website, leukemiarf.org, and then go to the patient and family support drop down menu, where you'll find all kinds of information. Our phone number, uh, you can jot this down, call us at any time, is area code 847-424-0600. Again, that's 847-424-0600, and we'd be more than happy to visit with you and see how we might be able to help as you go through this journey. So thank you again, Dr. Mesner and uh, Cancer Care, and I appreciate the time to talk a little bit about the Leukemia Research Foundation and, again, highly uh, encourage our participants to visit our website to learn more. Oh, thank you so much, um, Mr. Radler. And, and definitely I encourage also everyone to visit the website. It sounds like it has just a wonderful, wonderful resources for everyone on the call. So if you're not familiar with it, and you also will be getting all that information, if you haven't, we're going to write it down fast enough, whatever, we'll be sending it all to you as well, so you'll have that information. Thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker is Shannon Kuhn, and uh, she is an oncology social worker. She's our children's program coordinator at Cancer Care. And Ms. Kuhn will be addressing Cancer Care's free programs and services, and we'll discuss our Hope Line and our website as well. I'm going to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Kuhn. Thank you. As Dr. Mesner mentioned, my name is Shannon Kuhn, and I am the Children's Program Coordinator as well as an oncology social worker here at Cancer Care. Cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services and information to help people manage the emotional, practical, and financial challenges of a cancer diagnosis. Our comprehensive services include resource navigation, counseling, support groups, educational workshops and publications, as well as limited financial assistance. In my role at Cancer Care, I provide support services to children and families impacted by a cancer diagnosis, as well as develop programs and initiatives for our children's department. Families and, children's may, and children may choose to supplement existing social networks by joining a support group or engaging in counseling. Many hospitals, treatment centers, and nonprofit organizations offer supportive services as well. Being a member in a support group can offer the opportunity to speak with others who are going through similar experiences, obtain information, and provide support. Currently, Cancer Care offers specific live support groups for those located in New York and New Jersey for children and, adolescents and adults who have a loved one with cancer. Cancer Care also offers online support groups for adult caregivers. Cancer Care support groups aim to reduce feelings of loneliness and anxiety, explore new ways of coping, increase feelings of empowerment, 
provide practical information about treatment and resources, and address ways to communicate with one's medical team and loved ones. Our support groups are led by professional oncology social workers who offer support and guidance. Groups are held for 15 weeks at a time, and members must register to join. For our online groups, you can register through cancercare.org by selecting Our Services, then Support Groups. For our live groups, those eligible can contact our Hopeline at 1-800-813-4673. Individuals may also experience practical and financial concerns through one's treatment. Please know that if you are encountering such financial hardships, there are organizations that may be able to help. Cancer Care's resource navigation offer a short-term strengths-based approach service to both patients and caregivers affected by cancer nationally. A trained specialist will work with the client in connecting them to resources, referrals, and financial assistance. If you are interested in learning more about the support services we offer, I encourage you to call Cancer Care's National Hope Line at 1-800-813-4673 to speak with one of our oncology social workers. At Cancer Care, our oncology social workers are trained in how a childhood cancer diagnosis can impact an individual as well as their loved ones. We are here to offer you support throughout this experience and look forward to hearing from you. It has been such a pleasure to be part of this program. Thank you for your attention, and I now turn our program back to Dr. Mesner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Kuhn. That was outstanding and just a wonderful resource as well. So two great resources for our participants to access um, after the call, and you'll be getting that information again um, in the SurveyMonkey. And now we're going to move on to the Q&A. I'm going to ask Krista to explain to you how to queue up for questions. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Krista? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we will take questions from the web only. You may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. We have our first question. Um, uh, this is a question for Dr. Uh, Robbins, um, what can I do to protect my child from infection during and after treatment? That's a great question, and it's a question that's on so many on the minds of so many family members when someone's diagnosed with leukemia. Um, so, I think the most important thing that families can do is just um, common sense approaches to infection prevention. Things like um, washing our hands, uh, you know, after, you know, if you, if you sneeze, um, using, uh, you know, like some, of the, some people carry the little antiseptic uh, uh, soaps around uh, for if they were to sneeze or touch something dirty or to be in a crowd. Um, the truth is that we can't wrap these children in bubble wrap, right? They have to be able to live their lives and go about their normal day-to-day -day activities. And that means that it is safe to go outside, get fresh air, have 
guests at home, as long as those guests aren't don't have symptoms of you know infection or illness, um, to be around other people. Typically, we um, advise and suggest for our patients to try and avoid big crowds where it's hard to um, control whether or not you might be around someone with infection symptoms, places like, um, you know, like a crowded concert or a crowded subway car, for example. Um, but otherwise, the, you know, our patients and children with leukemia can go and be in the places that they usually are, including inside and outside. If you happen to know that you might be near a crowd or near someone that might be sick, um, if the child is old enough to wear a mask, we often suggest our patients wear masks um, when they might be around other people that could potentially have infectious symptoms. But um, you know, some families think they need to do a whole giant, you know, cleaning of their house and change things around in their homes. They don't. Um, or that they might not be able to go outside to the park or play with other children. They can. Um, so it's just common sense ways to avoid infection. And I don't think there's anything that should have to flip a family's life upside down to try and avoid um, any infection. The truth is that children uh, of all ages, but particularly young children, will get infections naturally over the course of, you know, the years that it, that therapy takes. And that's okay. Um, as long as you follow the guidance of your medical team and share with your medical team as soon as they have a sign of infection without waiting, um, those are the right things to do. Um, one other thing that I didn't talk about earlier, um, but um, is kind of part of this question is the question about vaccines. Um, for seasonal vaccines, like the flu vaccine and the COVID vaccine, your provider, your uh, care provider and your medical team may advise that your child should get those vaccines. And that's correct, um, albeit with the caveat that you should speak with your specific medical team because every child may be in a specific, unique circumstance. But broadly speaking, the seasonal vaccines are safe to give even during chemotherapy um, and can help prevent those infections. Now, other vaccines that are not seasonal, but other childhood vaccines that are meant to provide long-term permanent protection against uh, other childhood infectious diseases like polio and all the other childhood vaccines that we think of, those vaccines can't be given during chemotherapy for two reasons. One is that some of the vaccines are actually made of live infection particles, and we don't want to give those to children who have weakened immune systems. And second, because um, even for the vaccines that are not made of living vaccine uh, virus particles, the vaccines may not be effective while the immune system is low. So we wait until after chemotherapy to re-give the typical childhood vaccines once the immune system has recovered. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Very comprehensive. Thank you so much. Um, and this is a question um, 
for Dr. Muriel, how will this treatment affect my child's daily life? Will he or she be able to attend school and perform the usual activities? It really will depend, uh, thank you for that question. It really will depend on what phase of treatment your child is in. There are part times in the treatment where, where your child might need to be in the hospital and then so that, that disrupts their full routine. Early in treatment, the, the chemotherapy, the side effects may be more intensive. Um, you will hear from your medical team about whether they're in spending special considerations about staying home from school during that time, or they may be in clinic more often, depending on their medication regimen. Certainly by the time a child is in maintenance therapy, we do expect most children will be able to go back to school and have some regular routines. Some of them may even get back to some of their other activities, some kinds of non-contact sports. So I think it's, it's really going to be dependent on the phase of treatment that your child is in. Throughout this, however, even when they are not able to go to school or do some of their um, everyday routine, we do hope that families will establish some other kinds of alternative routines just so the child has some kind of predictability and some way to kind of do some of the things that they enjoy. If they're not physically up to running around, can they, um, you know, sit and play a video game or can they sit and cuddle up and, and watch a show with a sibling or with the family, so that there are other things that the child does depending on how they're feeling physically. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, for Dr. Robbins, is targeted therapy recommended for T-cell uh, ALL? Mm -hmm. So uh, thanks for that question and thanks for clarifying that uh, the two examples that I gave um, in my initial talk um, were medications that are specific for the B cell type of ALL. There are um, targeted therapies and immunotherapies being studied for TALL. Um, uh, one recent medication that's been incorporated into frontline therapy for TALL is a medication that's specific for T cells. It's called nalarabine. Um, and that's been shown to help um, improve outcomes um, when added to the other conventional chemotherapy medicines that we mentioned before. And then there are others that are being studied um, but have not yet been proven to show um, effectiveness. And within the CAR T-cell world, there are certain targets that are being looked at to see if we can engineer the CAR T cells to target um, to uh, to target T cells, but that's more difficult because um, CAR T cells are made of T cells, so it may not be um, uh, easier possible. But we'll see. Um, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and uh, this one um, for. Um, uh, for Dr. Muriel, my child has become increasingly withdrawn since commencing treatment. What can I do to help? Um, thank you for that. Yes, it really depends on how the child is feeling physically. Sometimes children are more withdrawn when they're not feeling well physically. And sometimes they're also just more withdrawn because they are conserving their energy and they need um, just a little more rest. I think you want to pay attention to um, how they are socially, how they are engaged with the people that are closest to them, to, to notice whether it's um, more of a physical symptom or um, 
whether it is more emotional. I think the other thing is young children are often more able to be distracted by something that they may enjoy. Even if they're not feeling physically well, they can do something quiet, but they'll kind of engage in it. Um, I do think that older children sometimes are maybe more at risk for actually feeling more depressed and having um, more of a negative experience. And then you'd want to talk with your older child about what they're experiencing, what are the kinds of things they're thinking about, what are they worrying about, sometimes normalizing for children that um, every kid going through leukemia treatment has some worries or has some things that they um, feel sad about, and giving the, chance, the child a chance to talk about that, or if they're younger, to play about it or to, um, to draw, and that's where the psychosocial team at your cancer center may be helpful. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. And for Dr. Robbins, um, now that my child has beat cancer, does he still need to see an oncologist who is part of his healthcare team now? Can, can you repeat that? I'm sorry. Uh, now that my child has beat cancer, oh, does wonderful. he still need to see an oncologist who is part of his healthcare team now? Th thank you. Uh, first of all, that's wonderful. Um, uh, I'm so happy for you, and thank you for the question. So yeah, so believe it or not, um, once children have completed therapy, they still come to visit us um, for follow-up care for quite a while, actually. At first, after therapy, like in, in the immediate year or two after therapy, we actually still see our patients quite often, sometimes even as frequently as every month or so. But over time, those visits space out. The reason for those visits are for a couple of reasons. First, we like to see that um, we, we want to monitor that the child's immune system and blood system recovers fully from all of the things that we put them through with the medications that we used. And so we want to see the immune system go, go back to 100% and same with the blood system. And then after that, we do help give um, vaccines, although that can be in coordination with a primary care pediatrician, for example, but often that's done in the oncology clinic. Um, many oncology clinics have the capability to do that. And then after that, it's all about long-term follow-up, which means monitoring um, the child's health to make sure that their body systems stay healthy. And I mentioned earlier some of the long-term side effects that we monitor for because it is possible that they still need a little extra monitoring or a little bit of extra supportive care for some of their organ systems. And then as time goes by on the scale of years, the visits become fewer and fewer. And sometimes the visits are really believe it or not, become fun, and it's just a social visit, saying hello, um, being excited to see how well children are doing after their care, um, and watching them grow up. Um, in terms of monitoring for other cancers, for example, um, and other things, that really is customized to each child's unique situation. Sometimes cancer was caused by a, predispose, a, a predisposing syndrome or other health issue that makes us um, more eager to monitor very carefully for anything else that comes in the future, but sometimes not. So um, I hope that answers the question. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. That's so
excellent question and great answer. So thank you so much. Um, um, and um, and this is a question of Seth Muriel. The last question: My child is in remission now and will go back to school. I'm worried about how others will treat him when he returns. How can I make sure he will be okay? That's a great question. And again, it's terrific to hear that your child is doing well and ready to go back to school. I think um, some of it will depend on whether there are physical um, changes that have occurred and whether that's something that needs to be prepared for. I think you want to talk with your school team, the child's teacher, the guidance counselor, um, the vice principal, or whoever's managing um, the return to school to really think about how to help your child be more comfortable and help their peers be more comfortable with them coming back if they've been out of school for a long time. Um, and so that preparation is really important. For the child themselves, you want to think about who they can have as a buddy, again, depending on the age of the child. You know, can you, hopefully they've kept in touch with some of their peers at school, and can they meet up with some of those buddies before they go back to school so that they know that when they get back there, there's going to be people who they can feel comfortable with. Maybe that, that, that buddy would go with them the first couple of days so that they kind of walk into the classroom together. But then it's also really important that the adults around the child be prepared for what to um, do to support the child and to think about what questions might come up from the other kids, um, how to answer those questions, and how to um, support their return socially, more importantly, um, at the beginning than just the academic uh, functioning. The academic support can come later over time, um, but that emotional and social adjustment is really important at the very beginning. Actually, thank you. And um, well, I want to thank our speakers. You've been phenomenal. I want to thank our participants who've asked such great questions. And I'm just going to ask our speakers more that in the word that they presented for Dr. Robbins first, and Dr. Muriel, and Mr. Radelik, and then um, um, Ms. Kuhn um, to give a takeaway, uh, just a minute takeaway point that you'd like people to take away from today's call. Um, if you could do that, that would be great. And then, um, uh, so. Uh, Dr. Robbins, if you want to go first. Sure, of course, yeah. I think the takeaway that I'd like people to have is to feel reassured that there are so many different tools that we, and by tools I mean med medicines and therapies, that um, that are effective at treating leukemia. And I mentioned some of them, but there are others that I didn't mention. And there, there's just so many different um, pathways. And so we've really entered a world where we can customize therapy to your child's specific leukemia. And um, I'm just excited for how uh, successful we are now and how much more success we'll have in treating leukemia. Excellent. Thank you so much. And um, wonderful. And um, uh, Dr. Muriel? Um, I would just say that, um, again, to remember that you as your child caregiver know your child best and that partnering with your team is so important to explain mm -hmm. to the team what your concerns are about your child. And to remember that we have all seen, as Dr. Robbins pointed out, 
um, children who get through their leukemia treatment um, and do well. And our goal is to help them stay along their developmental trajectory and that even though there may be hard times during the course of the treatment, most children are quite resilient and can do very well. And getting the support your child needs as they recover and move on with their lives can be very satisfying as it is satisfying for their treaters over time to see them grow and thrive. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks. Very nice to hear. And um, Mr. Rattlett. Rattlett. Um, and also add to it, when uh, Dr. Robbins mentioned that there are so many tools and therapies and pathways that you can explore and um, also the, the being sure to partner with your team, uh, organizations like ours um, are also part of that team and that we can provide all kinds of resources to you, educational um, resources on our website, leukemiarf.org. Uh, so it's really, there's a lot of people in your corner, not just the doctors, but organizations like ours and people who have been through the same thing and they want to make sure that others uh, have it easier than they might have. So be sure to visit our website and we're proud to be part of that team as well. Excellent. Thank you so much. And Ms. Kuhn. Yes, and as just stated, just how there are so many organizations and people out there who are wanting to provide that support and oftentimes making that phone call can be the hardest part. But again, there really are these organizations who are there and wanting to be there, so to give us a call. Excellent. Well, I want to thank all of our speakers. I also want to thank all of our participants. Now, I do want to acknowledge that we didn't, we're not able to take everyone's questions. There were more questions than we could possibly take. We'd have to spend another hour or two for all the questions. So I do want to comment. For those of you who asked a question, for those of you who have a question that was in queue and that didn't, you didn't get to ask, and for those of you who are thinking of a question, please go back to your treating healthcare team. They know you the best. They know your child the best, and they know, of course, um, and, and ask the question of them again. And ask it as often as you need to until you get an answer that is helpful to you. Remember, your healthcare team consists of many, many different members of that team, um, both oncologists, um, psychologists, psychiatrists, oncology social worker, um, patient navigator, um, resource navigator, um, um, oncology nurse. There's just so many members of that team, financial advisor. There's so many people on your team um, that you may not have actually um, worked with. So please take advantage of the full team and also take advantage of Leukemia Research Foundation and Cancer Care. And we'll be giving you a list of other organizations that we think would be used to you to have in your stockpile of organizations to get help from. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today. We don't want any one of you to leave this call feeling you're alone. We want you to know you're part of a community of support, both your healthcare team and all of us are here to help you. Thank you all and have a fine day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes today's workshop and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.